Well, good morning again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters and fellow believers in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Is the church exclusive or inclusive? Just so we're kind of on the same page, let me give you an example or a, uh, an experience that I had a number of years ago. Uh, I went to the NCAA men's basketball tournament, March Madness, right? A member at Grace, where I serve, um, gave Pastor Waddles and myself two tickets to two games in his luxury suite at the Verizon Center downtown in D.C., and so when all the other thousands of people were filing in and buying their popcorn and hot dogs, we went through this door. We had to get, go around and get, but we came in the door. Our seats were right there among all the others, but behind us, there was this luxury suite. Buffet, open bar, couch, comfortable couches, big screen TVs, and clean bathrooms. <laughs> And it was wonderful. It's the only time I've ever been in a, one of those luxury suites at any place, at any stadium. It was no doubt costly. I'm not sure what something like that cost for an NCAA tournament. It cost us nothing, thanks to that member who gave us. It was only a few like, that can actually enjoy that. I don't know if anybody else has ever been in one of those suites, or I've, I expect I won't ever again. Kind of nice, but it's very exclusive. Inclusive, that would be maybe something like the 4th of July parade in D.C. or visiting the Smithsonian Museums. It's open to all people. It's free. Uh, people, foreigners, uh, residents, locals, you can come, you can go. That's very inclusive. I enjoyed my time watching the games and the rest of the experience. I think. Don't we all kind of like the exclusive treatment once in a while? Don't roll your eye. <laughs> but I think we all pretty much agree, right, that to be exclusive is considered kind of negative, right? But to be inclusive is more considered positive. So again, is the church something exclusive? or something inclusive, the Holy Christian Church, or our synod, or this congregation, right? And if I'm talking about that, then I would, I would have to ask you and me, are we welcoming and affirming and accepting and loving, kind of like Christ? Or are we more private or maybe even judgmental or closed-minded, which would be not like Christ, right? And I think everyone, I kind of set it up here, but everyone would say, no, inclusive, right? Yet, what do you think is the number one, or I don't know if number one, but people outside the church? What's a criticism that they sometimes have of people in the church? that they're exclusive, right? That they think they're better than us or that you have to be part of their club or something like that. 
And probably, you know, we recognize that in this life, on this world, none of us are perfect. We strive to be like Jesus in our love and our welcoming, but we probably sometimes fall short, right? So maybe the question is, should be, is the church meant to be exclusive or inclusive? Okay. What's the answer? Maybe it's kind of surprising. Is the church inclusive or exclusive? And the answer is yes. Hmm? The answer is yes. The church is both exclusive and inclusive, just not maybe in the way that we normally think about those two ideas. And that thought kind of comes through the gospel lesson in a way that we just heard from uh, Luke chapter 13. And it's one of those hard sayings that we're considering throughout the, uh, this number of weeks. We heard at the beginning of the gospel lesson that Jesus was doing what he came to do. He, he began his ministry and he performed a lot of miracles and healings and his popularity grew, right? But then as he got into the latter parts of his ministry, those three years, um, he probably dedicated himself more uh, dedicated more time to teaching the crowds and teaching his disciples about discipleship, about following him. And sometimes these were, were hard sayings. Well, and because of that, maybe there were less people than at the beginning that were all excited and enthusiastic to follow him. Towards the end of his ministry, there were less people. There was opposition. In fact, he's headed to Jerusalem. We heard that, right? He knew what was waiting him there, for him there, and we know what he had, was going to Jerusalem to do, right? He, to be the Savior, to accomplish. But Jesus knew that for people to, to have the salvation that he would win for them, they needed to receive that through faith in him, right? And Jesus was a people person. People always wanted to be around him, and he wanted to be with people. And so as he's going to Jerusalem to save the world, he still is going from town to village and teaching the people. Okay? And as he was doing so, one guy came to him with a question. And this wasn't strange. People often came to Jesus with questions. But this guy came. He showed like he was no dummy. <laughs> I mean, he showed some spiritual knowledge and some knowledge of the Bible, okay? So he probably was observing that there were smaller crowds following Jesus and some were turning back. So what was his question? Lord, are just a few going to be saved? And I think that's still... Sometimes a question, and probably it always will be a question that will pop up from time to time, right? How many, are just a few going to be saved? Some people say that we live in, in this country, a post-Christian era, right? Christianity has had its high point, and in many ways, it's on a decline. And statistically, sometimes uh, attendance and participation and stuff, that kind of um, affirms that, right? It kind of goes along and reflects that, whether it's here or in Falls Church or, you know, throughout our synod. 
sometimes we also might wonder, what will happen? In what, where, is, where will the church be in a, a number of years? Will just a few people only be saved? What was Jesus' answer? Notice what he did? What maybe a politician sometimes does when he gets a question from an audience? What does a politician sometimes do? Veers away, right? It doesn't answer. That's what you, but politicians do it because they don't want to be, I don't know, held responsible or they don't want to answer the question. Not the case with Jesus. But he did veer away. He didn't answer that question. He took the conversation in a different direction. Spoke to that guy and to the rest of the crowd. It really speaks to all people because here we have it in the Bible. There's something that they really needed to hear. Not how many finally are going to be saved. What did he say to the guy? Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. How many? That's not important. What about you? Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And we can tell that, Je- what is Jesus talking about? What is the, you can tell he's talking about salvation. You can tell he's talking about judgment day, that we met, as I mentioned. You can tell he's talking about heaven and hell. Jesus doesn't come right out and say it here, but he had said it many times. He will say it many more, and the entire Bible is full of the evidence. Who is the door? No? He is the door. He is the gate to the sheep pen. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Savior, the one that came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the only hope for sinner, the only, salva- the only Savior. There is no salvation in any other. No other name given from heaven among men by which we can be saved, except Jesus. And before we go on, what does that mean to be saved? It's a word that's in the Bible. It's a word we use all the time at church, right? But what does it mean to be saved? We, have to, we should define it. We should be clear about that. It starts with our sin. We confessed at the beginning of our service, the sin that separates us from God. There's nothing we can do to change that. There's no price that we can pay. There's nothing on our part that will earn our way back to God, back to heaven. Please, it's not that God is like somehow exclusive, that he doesn't want to have anything to do with us. It's just that he's holy. He wants us to be with him. And so he sent his son to make us holy, right? Through his suffering and death and rising from the dead to take away our sins and to give us this perfect robe of righteousness. Maybe maybe an illustration. A life preserver. It's a concept that's very easy, right? It's filled with air. And it, it buoys us up in the water, right? Not hard to figure out. 
But a life preserver means a lot more if I've just fallen overboard out at high sea. Or if my child is walking along a pool and doesn't, is only a year old and doesn't know how to swim. When I realize, thinking about salvation, when I realize how lost and condemned I am by nature. And then when I realize what Jesus said on the cross, what he meant when he said, it is finished, that there is forgiveness and salvation through what he did, not in our getting back to God, but in God coming to us and forgiving us. When I know it and I believe it, that's salvation. I know I will be saved for all eternity, and I know now that I'm saved. And that makes a difference right now. And with that in mind, let's just walk through the words that Jesus gave to that man who was wondering, will just a few be saved? He said, make every effort to walk through, come through the narrow door. Sounds like works, right? It sounds like we'll make every effort. But all Jesus is saying, there's only one door. Make every effort. It's kind of an athletic term, this idea of striving or make every effort. It's like an athlete who puts every last bit of or ounce of, of himself into the competition. It's the word agonize it comes from the same word in the Greek. It's like make this, this narrow door to salvation. That's all that really matters in the final analysis. Okay? Why? Because the time is coming when the door will be closed. We heard Jesus talk about that. God has appointed a time. We call it Judgment Day, or he calls it Judgment Day in the Bible, where Jesus will appear again. All people will appear before Jesus. All the evidence will be open. Our sin but also in the case of believers, the evidence of their faith through which they are saved, through which they have been forgiven, and which gives them eternal life. Many, though, will say, Lord, open the door for us. We heard Jesus talking about this, right? They're on the outside. They're unbelievers. But they'll just have this passionate, this desperate plea. Lord, open the door for us. We ate and drank with you. They're their ideas and their reasons that he should open the door, they come off their lips. We ate and drank with you. We're familiar with you, Jesus. But he said, no, there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. It'll be too late at that point. The time of grace will be over. Nevertheless, believers will come from the east and west and north and south God's word will accomplish what he desired and he will bring believers one by one through the narrow door through faith in Jesus. And then he summarizes it all. Famous words, right? At that point, the last shall be first and the first They'll be last. Those who seem to be the ones that should be the first ones may be the last. And those who seem to be far away 
may be the first. Only God knows, but he clearly tells us it's through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. The high priest that God called to be the leader of his people pronounced death to Jesus, while a thief on the cross next to Jesus was promised eternal life. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. A mass murderer rotting in prison may by God's grace come to faith while a good person of another religion or even a clergy or a faithful member may, not that we're accusing or speculating, but Jesus' words are true. Don't worry about how many will be saved. Worry about yourself. Because Jesus loved you and died for you. Jesus invites you to come through him to the Father and to eternal life. People still try to deflect the truths here with questions. You've probably heard people ask, you know, what's heaven going to be like? Oh, I don't know. I have a hard time understanding. I uh, will there be pets? Will we know each other? What's, what are we going to do in heaven? Kind of deflecting from the reality of what Jesus says here. Make every effort. Make every priority your faith in Jesus. The faith that he has given to you, and I can confidently say that to all of you. So therefore, make every effort to prioritize your faith, to cultivate your faith and your Christian living. Agonize. Do whatever is possible, whatever is necessary. Not that we're saved by our work. We're saved through faith in Jesus without our work. But that doesn't cause us to be inactive and to consider it all as a trivial matter. That causes us to strive, to make every effort. Jesus says the door is narrow, right? And that can be a frightening thought, but there is a door. And the door is open. And the door is Jesus. He is the way. He is the gate to the kingdom of God and to God our Father and to heaven for all eternity. This is one of those hard sayings. Sometimes people struggle. Often because of our pride. Well, I thought good people should go to heaven. Jesus comes in love, shares a hard saying, make every effort to come through the narrow door, right? Sounds exclusive. Because he's the only way. He's the only Savior. But he's the Savior of all, isn't he? 
very inclusive. That's why Jesus' kingdom and the church then, is it exclusive or is it inclusive? Yes. Jesus is the only Savior. Beyond him, apart from him, there is no forgiveness, no salvation, no heaven. But through him, we have it all. As you listen to Jesus' words here, do you kind of hear the, uh, maybe a self-centered, closed-minded, exclusive bigot who doesn't want to have anything to do with people? Or do you hear a loving Savior who with his actions on this earth won forgiveness for you and with his words gives that forgiveness to you and to me and who continues to invite us to come to him and through him to the Father to heaven for all eternity. Jesus gives us here something to think about and something to ponder and something to believe in. The door is narrow, but it's open to all. And it's open to you and to me through Jesus, our Savior. To him be the glory. Lord, bring us, continue to bring us day by day through your word until you bring us to heaven for all eternity. Amen. And the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding may keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.